Snake is your friend, Psycho Mantis. Good news, buddy. Death is not the end. I'm here on this solemn, dark beach, and I can finish my tale of woe. It was the 90s, and I... Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is your mother, the president, Dimitri. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so today we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, we're playing a game that might not be anybody's formative game yet. Well, I'm sure it, I'm sure it's somebody's formative game. Somebody who's about to have wild taste <laughs> in video games. Um, yeah, I mean, if you've been listening along you'll know that i just finished playing metal gear solid for the first time ever and as we were having all these conversations about mgs it was in the shadow of a whoa mgs <laughs> i'm a gamer now <laughs> <laughs> um it was in the shadow of this new looming huge kojima productions game called death stranding which has since come out and we have both played it and we have many thoughts about it, which we're not even going to really start to get into. What we are going to talk about is what Death Stranding taught us about Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, in a, in a pretty short span of time, Michelle has gone from never playing a Hideo Kojima game to playing two of them. You're not calling them Hideo games anymore? Are you over that? <laughs> Maybe I'm over that. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. It didn't, it didn't take off. <laughs> But I think one of the benefits of doing this is that it it allows us to kind of look back at Metal Gear Solid through the lens of Death Stranding and, and maybe see it in in some new lights. Mm -hmm. So yeah, today we really want to focus our conversation on uh, the relationship between these two games and how we really always had Metal Gear back in the back of our minds as we were playing Death Stranding. I think, pr I think everyone did a little <laughs> bit. Like you can't, this game will never not be somewhat overshadowed by its creator, I think. Like the, the Kojima... Um, shadow is over this whole thing, right? Yeah, but Metal Gear at this point, especially the first one, is so old. Guaranteed, people picked this up and were excited about it who may have never played Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, I mean, that was almost me. Yeah, that was all Like, very, very <laughs> nearly. <laughs> Maybe before we get into talking about what Death Stranding taught us about Metal Gear Solid, we can just get initial impressions out of the way so people have a general idea of our our overall opinion on the game. Mm -hmm. Dimitri, what did you think of Death Stranding? Holy shit, Kojima is a genius. Oh my God. A real true auteur. Oh, we got a fanboy over here. <laughs> all of those critiques were misguided. <laughs> I now see the light. In all seriousness, though, this was my favorite game of 2019. Hmm. I absolutely loved it. Um, the other thing I'd like to bring up now is that I on the last Metal Gear Solid, on the last Metal Gear Solid episode... Michelle might have brought up this tweet and was really snarky about it. One of these Kojima tweets, she was making fun of this tweet where he talked about what a Kojima Productions game is or a Kojima game a is. A Kojima game? Yeah, a Hideo yeah. Kojima game. Anyway, it has come to light that there was a little bit of mistranslation in that tweet. And he didn't say that he was in charge or that he did all of those things, just that he was involved in them. So he did allow for the fact that this is a collaborative process. Mm -hmm. So now I think it is time for you to offer your public apology to our, to our hero, 
the greatest game creator of all time, Hideo Kojima. Let me tell you how much that's never going to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, I was not the translator who whiffed on that tweet. And uh, as it read at the time, it was pretty bad. Um, I also- Kojima would have corrected it, but he's too busy supervising the merch. Dealing. <laughs> Um, I do believe he supervised the merch. Um, I also really like this game. I think I'm a little more critical of it than you in the end. I don't know that at the end of the day, I can say that I loved it. I can say that I liked it for sure. I can say that it was one of the most provocative things that I played or even experienced in media last year, 2019. We're recording this in 2020. There's there's a lot to dig into, but it's it's much more of a boy are there high highs and low lows on this one for me. Like there's there's so many things in this that I absolutely think are brilliant. And then there's the authorial voice <laughs> that is a problem. I think he puts those lows in intentionally so you'll appreciate oh the highs more. This is wild. You've <laughs> lost your mind. <laughs> Okay, let's get into it. We'll we'll dig through Death Stranding a little bit. Like Michelle said, it's not gonna we're not gonna go into our exhaustive thoughts. They may emerge as we discuss other games in the future, but for now, we really want to think about this and Metal Gear Solid kind of in tandem. Mm-hmm. So, if you're gonna say kind of the first thing that um, you learned about Metal Gear Solid through playing Death Stranding, what would that be? Mm-hmm. So we talked a bunch about how Kojima is like obsessed with movies. He wants to make movies. He borrowed so much from film um, in putting together uh, Metal Gear Solid. I, after playing Death Stranding, I think he's wrong about (laughs) wanting to make movies. I think what he wants to make is television. I think he wants a movie budget and scale and some of that language. But it's so clear to me after Death Stranding that he thinks in episodic terms. Um, This game is heavily structured around chapters that center around a particular one of your teammates. And it really made me look back at Metal Gear Solid as also being a series of chapters or episodes that belong to a certain boss that you're working towards or dealing with. Um, And I think that that structure is where his work shines so much more strongly. A lot of the time for me, I think... Both Metal Gear Solid and uh, Death Stranding fumble a little bit when they have to bring the the big overall plot home. Whereas those those one off episodes, those those single focused, you know, thought experiments that you're working through, or like weird what ifs, or like character driven um, mini arcs, those things work so well. Yeah, I I, I really agree with that because because yeah, through his games, he really does think. In terms of high concept, and mm-hmm. it's often high concept in terms of character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and in the, yeah, and in the Metal Gear games, that was usually through the rogues gallery of villains primarily. Yep. Um, who, at least in my opinion, were always more interesting than your group of allies. Yeah. And in here, that's that's kind of inverted, where the villains all kind of stink. Yeah the the boss battles are weirdly not oh, great. Right. The boss battles themselves are not that great, and I think part of that is because. It, when creating the boss battles in this in, in Death Stranding, he couldn't connect the battle to a character mm-hmm, trait. Mm-hmm. Right, like all of the best Metal Gear boss battles, uh, 
often are kind of around one single idea, and that idea is an expression of that character. Right. But this sort of answers the question for me of which came first. Like, I think having only played Metal Gear, I could have easily believed that what he's really good at is designing boss battles and then thinking what kind Mm. of person would have this battle. But based on Death Stranding, it's incredibly clear to me that it's the other way around, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have these incredibly vivid like your teammates in um in death stranding that have their whole sort of world structured around them and the 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 villain in this is the main villain higgs is the lowest part of the entire game for me nothing about this character worked in the slightest for me not troy baker's fault he you know he he did what he was paid to do but yeah the the boss battles in this i found a little bit lackluster yeah, and and the other thing, going back to your original point, that this I think made me realize is that for me anyway, uh, Metal Gear Solid is what I'd consider the more cinematic game. Mm. And thinking about it in retrospect, I think really clarifies how different and impressive that game was for its time in terms of being a cinematic game. Mm-hmm. Uh, even just kind of rewatching you or watching you play the game, and then playing Death Stranding myself. Um, I think I found the overall visual storytelling in Metal Gear Solid to be more impressive. Hmm. Obviously, Death Stranding has some beautiful shots. Yeah, incredible uh, visual art design in this game. Yeah, like Kojima does have a good eye mm-hmm. and does set up some really nice compositions. The opening cutscene is really great. Yep. The introduction to like the cliff sequences, especially the yeah. first one, he's like in this spider's web with those like. Sid from Toy Story, Abomination yeah, yeah, yeah. The, oh, Dolls. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, those are all kind of really striking images. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, and especially during the dialogue scenes or the interactions with characters, Metal Gear Solid is the much more interesting visual game hmm. and and uses kind of the language of cinema in more interesting ways. And I think part of the reason for that is because of the technical limitations. Right. Because now Kojima's working with actual actors who have motion captured their right. or like performance captured their performances right um he almost wants you to he wants to linger on those performances so right the dialogue scenes just become these extensive like shot reverse shot things that are just not that interesting to watch mm-hmm. and again like he's not great at dialogue <laughs> and he overwrites all the characters so these these sequences go on for so long yeah. you spend so much time just Looking at characters just shot reverse shot or a character looking at a hologram of another character. Yeah. Um, with very little interesting camera movement or very little camera movement that's at all interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think I find overall uh, Metal Gear Solid to be the more visually compelling game. That's so interesting. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, and the other thing is that the moment to moment of Metal Gear is so much more cinematic, mm. so much more like playing through a movie. Unless you're like a Michelle and kind of fumbling through <laughs> as Snake, Metal Gear Solid constructs its sequences in a way, I think, that really allow you to live out the action fantasy or the action hero fantasy and, right. and kind of perform as that character in a way that looks like it could be captured on film. Right. Whereas here you're really as, as Sam fumbling around. Mm-hmm. Um falling down so often there'll be a beautiful shot composition and music will swell Mm -hmm. and it'll be this moment that is supposed to be cinematic and at least in my experience that would always be when 
I tripped over a rock or something and I just started tumbling <laughs> down. So it's kind of undercutting yeah. the cinematic intention. I had less of, I had a little less of that than I think you did. I, it's actually interesting because as you were talking, I was thinking back to like a couple of moments when I was walking around as Sam in this game where I really did get that feeling of like, this feels like being in a movie. And I realized that what triggered it every time was the music kicking in. Like it would just be t- like, instead of it being driven by shot composition and stuff like that. It was like times when I had just gotten finally over the crest and was sort of making my way down the other side of a mountain and you have that like low roar track mm. come up and it's one suddenly, of the many. Right, right. Whichever one. Um and suddenly it kind of feels like you're it like makes a moment out of something that was just a part of your yeah. you know, it's it's just a thirty second stretch in your yeah. forty hours of gameplay. And- Typically, I like that, but it, it is just a manipulative trick. Oh, yeah. Right? That yeah, is, yeah, yeah. That is that <laughs> yeah. As much as I enjoyed it, it is overused. Right. Yeah, it's so weird, right? Like, on the one hand, in this game, Kojima asserts so much more directorial control because there are so many cutscenes. and Like, just an incredible amount of time that you're not playing this game. <laughs> especially at the end where it's like, okay, I need to hit the landing. Yeah. Or he tries to hit the landing Here's narratively. Here's a two-hour movie. And so just, yeah, presents it as a movie. But outside of the cutscenes, he allows you as the player so much more freedom mm-hmm. than in Metal Gear. Mm-hmm. And in Metal Gear 2, right, the pacing of that game is so brisk and it's like an action movie. There's very little filler. Whereas this game, even if you imagine some kind of slow burn movie about this character, the majority of the game is stuff that that is like cut out. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like the majority of the gameplay is stuff that would never make it into a movie. It's it's the filler that is the for me the pleasurable part. I was about to say that's also one of maybe the driving pleasure mm-hmm. of the game is this like um traversing this lonely landscape as Sam with your packages and sort of making your way well, mm-hmm. west, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, oh it it's so weird that the parts of this game that are the strongest and most memorable I I just feel are like not necessarily the ones that are like not supposed to be the the strongest or most memorable, but like there's a weird mismatch between like how big and heavy and serious and impactful the creative team clearly wants some parts or scenes to be, mm-hmm. and the things that I think work best within the the themes and the setup and the structure of the game, which are almost mm-hmm. universally not those moments. Well, that's the thing. I think one thing that's really clarified is that Kojima is maybe a better game designer than I ever thought he was Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a worse director than I ever thought he was. (laughs) I completely agree that that yes, a hundred percent. And like Like, he's, he's so much better at dealing with themes mechanically than he's, than he has at dealing with them narratively. Yeah. In fact, um, I, a thing that happened to me so many times in this game is I would be plodding along kind of going through the less exposition heavy parts and kind of like putting together some, some ideas in my own thoughts about like, what's going on here? What are we doing? How am I feeling? Like, how's this all adding up? And then at the end of that chapter or whatever, you'll just have a lore dump where a character just explains to you what you were supposed to take from all Mm -hmm. of this and it's universally stupider and worse (laughs) than what i was thinking myself Mm -hmm. so it's like it's like i think he i think he was accidentally on his way to making a much better game than the one that he intended to make but then a lot of my frustrations come when he tries to like wrangle it back into telling you how to mm-hmm. understand his vision it's like no just let me let me be the post-apocalyptic porter mm-hmm. creating the internet and fighting ghosts uh and pissing on the ground <laughs> and let me figure out what to do with that you know 
Yeah, like just through, you can take any kind of five minute chunk of gameplay that says so much more about the complexity of human connection and yes. how it's kind of rewarding, but difficult and, and human em- fragility and, and embarrassing, and, right? And, and, and endeavor and yeah. yeah. And that says so much more than hours and hours and hours yeah. of cutscenes. <laughs> yeah. Or similarly, right? Like seeing somebody help you build a road yes. or seeing a zip line appear where in the perfect spot yeah, from these strangers, right? Says so much more about connection with strangers in the 21st century than, yeah. right? And it's really poignant. Being and short on materials for a road you wanted to build mm. and coming back in a while and other people have topped it up and now it exists and it goes further. Right, and, and like, you yeah. see the names and you feel the affinity for these strangers. hundred percent, yeah. Probably not probably assholes in real life if you (laughs) (laughs) odds are i mean i am (laughs) but like (laughs) but like you see a place where okay clearly this person wiped out their stuff is all over the place and like picking up some of those packages and turning them in at like the next way station like all that those like little gestures of care add up to so much in this Mm -hmm. um it almost a journey like kind of way where you're you're separated from having to know anything too concrete about the people that you're sort of forced to invest in and be almost like in society with mm. as you're creating this like yeah. it's cool and that's actually a great segue into the one of the other things that I learned about Metal Gear Solid through playing this um with you bringing up journey is that I think Kojima has an ability to take non-mainstream or what we might now now call kind of indie ideas and package them for mainstream audiences. And again, playing this, I think, made me reflect back on Metal Gear Solid and realize that it might be way more ambitious than we give it credit for. Can you give us an example? Or, or at least for different reasons than we give it credit for. And so I go back and I think about kind of the context of that game's release and how stealth itself was not established as a genre mm. and how really it goes... What what stealth gameplay is, and especially how it was constructed in Metal Gear Solid, really does fly directly in the face of what was popular at the time, right? Or what was considered kind of what was good and mainstream and you know profitable gameplay. Whereas Metal Gear Solid is, in some cases, and I think and we and we talked about this, it it plays sometimes like a puzzle game. Mm-hmm. It requires a lot of patience. It is grounded kind of in nonviolence. It involves much more strategy than kind of mainstream action games. Is it grounded in nonviolence? Not when you play it, but... <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Sure. It's an option that <laughs> sure. some people don't take. One could, okay. <laughs> right, and it packages all of these things in a wrapper that just does appeal to right. kind of the quote-unquote hardcore mainstream gamer who wants an action game. Right, like it's in a military shooter, kind of. Yeah, right. Yeah. It almost becomes a Trojan horse right. for those ideas and to bring them to the mainstream. And I mean, Death Stranding does this so much more, whereas Death Stranding is like Journey combined with Quop or like Bennett Foddy's getting over it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Combined with literally a walking simulator. <laughs> right. Right, all of these things that seem to exist on the fringes or are genres that are derided by the mainstream mm-hmm. um, or are seen as just kind of indie kind of like indie games and and brings them together in this package for a popular audience. Right. By being wrapped in like, oh, it's another sci-fi sort of post-apocalyptic y uh survival and shooting kind of game, of which there are eight million right now. 
Mm-hmm. But inside it, there's all this other stuff. Yeah, but yet yeah. I have to control this character almost like I'm playing Octodad or something. <laughs> yeah, it's funny talking about how he controls, because one of the things that really struck me is this game is kind of like obsessed with Sam's physicality. Like he is so much more of a embodied main character than I think a lot of similar games. And it's really easy for me to place that in a lineage in my own head with some of the stuff that happens in Metal Gear Solid. I'm thinking Hmm. like most specifically of the first sniper battle where, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I came into that so used to, okay, you just pick up a sniper, you line it up like it's, and instead you have these like shaking hands and this really unsteady thing. And that's such a, that's like Snake's body, like Mm -hmm. not doing, not being the perfect war machine that he wants it to be. And Having to take, again, I forget if it's an Ativan or a Percocet or whatever, you take an anti-anxiety thing to like calm your nerves and help you steady it. And it just, I feel like that's an attention, that's wanting you as the player to feel like this character that you're playing as has a body, has a physicality, like a real, Mm -hmm. is a real corporeal person. Um, And Sam feels like that so much. And partially that's like how the camera looks at him. Partially that's like these moments when he trips or staggers or gets off balance and that's your controls like that's just everything in this game um and in in that vein like having to push having to hold l2 or r2 to balance him out just again has that like little bit of tactile physical connection between like what you're doing actually with your hands and what sam is doing like it just that stuff all works for me so much like i love i love that the fragility of of him and him being always a little off all right. <laughs> well, listen, we'll talk about fragile in a second. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I really, I really like that point in that, that I didn't make that connection, but yeah, that through line between this um, experiment with the, um, with the sniper battle, mm-hmm. really bringing you into, into snake's body and, and yeah, drawing that connection between really this culmination of that idea yeah. with, with Sam, where you're sometimes, especially right. You feel like you're controlling every one of his limbs. Yeah. Octodad is a really funny point of compare. I haven't played that, but like I am, I do like know what sort of the premise is. That's, that's so funny to think about in this context. And the last big thing that we wanted to touch on is, is what are we to make of the evolution of stealth in, in these games? Um, Mm -hmm. This is a stealth game, sort of. There, there are definitely stealth elements. Mm -hmm. Um, in the same way that there are stealth elements in Metal Gear Solid, right? I think we were both, with the first one especially, surprised by how much action there was. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just, there were kind of the stealth sections and there were clear action sections. Yep. But yeah, I think one of the things that this really brought home to me, and this is kind of an obvious point, but one that I don't think I really thought about when we were revisiting Metal Gear Solid, was that right, stealth in Metal Gear Solid is not about vulnerability at all. Yes, Yeah. Um, and then actually the stealth in that game is really in, put in the service of, uh, of a power fantasy mm-hmm. and that your abilities when you're in stealth are actually kind of your superpowers. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're at your best when they don't know that you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're so powerful and like the tools you have to assess your situation yeah. um, and kind of how easily you can kind of come out of cover and just re- like snap a guy's neck and right. then go back into cover. <laughs> just right. That you, that you really are empowered and, the moment you realize that as Snake, the game kind of shifts. Mm-hmm. Whereas as Sam, right, you need to be a quiet guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your big critique of... You don't have a bandana, but <laughs> still. Yeah, there's no... the um, And I think it's interesting to think about this in terms of what happens when you break stealth, either intentionally or unintentionally, and what's your recovery process? Because mm-hmm. this game, when you're like creeping through the BT section, if you get caught by a BT, it's going to hit you and hit you hard. Like you got a real struggle to like get out of the the hands that are coming and grabbing you. Like it's... You- and then if you do get pulled down, then you have to fight a boss and usually you didn't prepare for... To have to yeah. fight that. If you're getting caught by these, enemy. you do not want to be ending up in a boss fight right now. Yeah, right. Like I think like dying from a failed stealth mission in Death Stranding or just resetting is actually the easy way out, right? Yeah. Like you're you're punished so much more severely for failed stealth in Death Stranding than you are in Metal Gear. Yeah. Where at least in your case, you can kind of just like kick a guy a few times and then wait <laughs> out the timer. Which you really can't in, no, in no, this game. No, you can't. I it's interesting too, because this is not. I don't think I've ever played a game before where it was stealth, but not through hiding. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't this isn't you're not going from behind a box to behind a box, right? Because it's so open. There's really it's a stealth game where there's nowhere to hide. Yeah, 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 yeah. What you're doing is just using this extra tool that you have that you can't keep up a hundred percent of the time. You have to take it down to move because your Odradex, that was called, can only sense BTs when you're perfectly still. Yeah, right, and and. The Odadrek is is such a good, or it made me I think reflect back on your critique of the cone of sight. Yeah, because it is it kind of functions as your cone of sight, but it's something that's attached to your body and doesn't give you perfect information. Yeah, and it's it's the backwards cone of sight. It's mm-hmm. you projecting a thing out from you mm-hmm. that detects almost like a radar where things mm-hmm. are, but imperfectly, um, not in a way that. Uh, is persistent and so you have to scout the landscape make your next little move during which you don't have your radar thing up mm-hmm. um and what this is all about which i like so much more than the cone of sight is just having to get a feel just as a player as sam for how close you can get to these things before they start to react to you mm-hmm. before they start to detect you and reach out for you and grab at you and move towards you like I, this to me is so much richer. This makes me feel like I'm doing the stealth, not that I'm like manipulating the game's AI to mm-hmm. keep myself like two steps out of their artificial limits of their line of sight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just I felt like I was participating so much more genuinely in this and trying to avoid them than I did in Metal Gear, even though yeah. I think that's a good stealth game. Yeah. So maybe this inverted stealth is actually what we want, right? A stealth with no hiding spots mm-hmm. and stealth where instead of you mapping out how other things are moving, those things are pretty static and you just have to move yourself around them. Yeah. At he- least when, yeah, when we're talking about the BTs, obviously when you're talking about the mule camps and the mules, that's yeah, 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 more that's a different thing. traditional stealth and those sections I didn't find as nearly impactful. Yeah. You could take those out of the game and it'd be fine. Yeah. BTs stressed me out all the time. And I think it's because it just how you had to approach it just inverted everything I'd learned from the Metal Gear games. So you know what I was thinking about this is it's more, did you feel like you were in a horror game Yeah. in these parts? Yeah. yeah. So, so did I. So this was terrifying. The BTs are so scary. And so I've never played it like a survival horror game. Like the way you have to sneak around the BTs is so much more like what I imagine sneaking around in a survival horror game and trying to avoid the the whatever thing is tracking you versus in um 
in something like a Metal Gear or other with human enemies where mm-hmm. it's a game of dodging and luring and hiding behind crates and, and whatever, in vents and all, all this stuff. Yeah, so while I still wouldn't call this a stealth game, really coming out of it, especially playing it so close to Metal Gear, uh, really did help clarify to me kind of how stealth can be used or inverted or played mm-hmm. with to to elicit different emotion. I thought that was I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. So those are some of the things that we learned uh, about Metal Gear Solid through Death Stranding. This game really did help us reflect on that experience, and that experience I think really did inform our playthrough of Death Stranding. It was for sure. It was kind of great. So if we have this type of experience again in the future, we'll hopefully we can uh, get back together and talk about m- more modern games. Yeah, as well, it's nice now and then. And as with any uh, Hideo Kojima game, I think we learn a lot about the man himself through his games. Oh, my God. And so normally I'd be opposed to this kind of activity. <laughs> I really do hate this this like idea, especially attached to quote-unquote auteurs, that we can like psychoanalyze them through their works. But... That's 100% what I'm going to do. <laughs> and because he's so uh, kind of identifies as an auteur, <laughs> I think in this case it's fair. He'll just tell you also. <laughs> So here are the top 10 things that we learned about Kojima from Death Stranding. So number one, Kojima is a huge fat bastard fan. Number two, he thinks dicks are actually magic. Number three, he is very stoked to lure his best friend into a game and make fat jokes about him. Which of his many best friends are you talking about? He has so many best friends. No, he doesn't. He stuck Keely away in like a bunker and made him (laughs) obsessed with Kojima's like company mascot (laughs) yeah that's the other thing i think there's clearly like a hierarchy of his friends that's pretty clear in this game you thought i was mean about keely holy (laughs) (laughs) anyway number four uh kojima was definitely a mixtape and chill kind of guy in the 90s Uh, this whole game i felt like he was flirting with me i felt like he was sexually harassing me (laughs) uh number five he thinks ride with norman reedus would survive the apocalypse Number six, still hasn't learned anything about genetics or what a uterus is. Number seven, <laughs> ship bombs, LOL. Yeah, like the number two bombs, you mean? They were made of... Get the, get the joke. He, yeah, no, he's, he's, not, he's not above <laughs> he's not bathroom humor. <laughs> uh, number eight, he believes being too proud of your job can make you go insane, which <laughs> honestly is starting to be believable. Number nine, not sure whether women have one soul or just a half sometimes. And number 10, and really the number one thing I learned about Kojima, a true genius and a true auteur. (laughs) Who is not above putting product placement for Monster Energy Drink into all of his games. (laughs) Not all of his games, just this one. This one a lot. Okay, and uh, it wouldn't be an episode if Michelle didn't close up with her nonsense score that if it's anywhere under just a perfect score, whatever that means, is flawed. But here we go. Well, wait and see. For letting me hike around Iceland, finally, plus 10. For bringing out the joy in infrastructure, plus 25. For sending me too many texts, minus 5. For all my weird, sad friends, plus 20. For the creepy BT stealthing that always feels tense and dangerous even into late game, plus 20. For not having anything behind that one waterfall, minus four. For being fragile, plus 12, but not that fragile, minus eight. For projecting vanity onto her without any evidence at all, minus 12. For agreeing that it's awfully cumbersome and humiliating to have a body, plus 10. For cliff fights, 
minus six. For fights in the cliffs, plus 20. And actually, that Vietnam one was good, plus four for that. Uh, for the American fetishism that you can read as ironic until Kojima basically shows up and tells you that it's not at all, minus 30. For knowing divorce is still an option, even in the apocalypse, plus 10. For not at all understanding his own themes, minus 15. Despite that, for the best extended metaphorical exploration of climate change that I have seen yet in media, plus 30. For its evocative, memorable visual language, plus 40. For letting me take my trike even where I clearly shouldn't, plus 10. For Hartman, plus 15. For Higgs, minus 10. For knowing that sometimes likes are a good, casual way to wish another human being well, plus 5. For thinking they're anything more than that, minus 10. And for the absolute worst, most ludicrous names of any game I can remember in all my years of loving ludicrous art, which I do, plus 35, for a total of 166 points. I think that's a good score. Thank you. I think so, too. <laughs> it's been a lot of inflation since oh. the 90s. Okay. This is a great game. <laughs> it was a pretty good game. It was a very good game. It was a game with some great ideas in it. Kojima, you're, you're, you've been redeemed. Zip lines. All right. I think that's enough of contemporary games. I got to get back into the uh, 90s and early 2000s where there's a bunch more stuff waiting for me. Um, so thank you for listening to this weird little mini episode that we're doing. Um, as always, you can uh, find details and show notes at neverwasagamer.com. Follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. And if you have a moment to rate and review us on iTunes or any podcast platform that you use, that would be much appreciated. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time where Michelle will hopefully be one step closer to becoming much like her idol Higgs. Oh my God. A real gamer. <laughs> <laughs>